for God's sake, strap yourselves down quick. The G-forces will kill us all. Mr. T.J. Drennan. My name's Spencer, a.k.a. Free For All, and this is episode 100 of Keep Off The Borderlands. Hello, welcome, and please remain indoors. Although, obviously, you can exercise and stuff, you know, go out for a walk, but please don't. And um, you probably have to go out to work as well but we'd advise against that but if you do there is public transport available although I wouldn't use it if I was you and uh, if you do venture out please keep an eye out for that virus because it is a sneaky one but whatever you do don't okay I'm glad that's cleared up and we're all on the same page let's get on with the show So it's been a while, I guess I've been pondering, you know, what to do for the 100th episode. It seems to be a combination of not having the time when I'm feeling inspired and not feeling inspired when I have the time. Also wanting to do something special and overthinking that. But I guess what I really want to do is just look at the journey I've been on since beginning this podcast and and talk a little bit about where I'm heading. I'm very grateful for a few timely messages that are really going to help me do that. Probably just best to get on with it, isn't it? I mean, these podcasts don't make themselves, you know. Dude, you have been killing it lately with your intros, man. <laughs> that clip you had on before your jungle episode was, oh man, that was magnifique. I had so much fun playing with you guys the other day. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I seriously haven't laughed that much in a single time period for a long, long time. I pretty much laughed that entire session. All of you guys are great. It was a blast. I can't wait to do it again. Dude, congratulations on 100, Spence. That's amazing. Keep it up. <clears throat> I can't wait uh, to hear more from you. It's been so much fun getting to know you over this past year, and I just really appreciate, I just really appreciate you, man. So I wanted to say that. Keep it up. 
Yeah, dude. Uh, and also, I hear you're listening to actual plays these days. Check out Wheeler. Whoa, peace out. Hey, Joe. Well, Joe from Wheeler. Whoa, and hindsightless there. If there's anyone who's going to get me pumped up, it's you, Joe. I mean, I listen to your messages and then I listen to my voice afterwards and I think, Jesus, cheer up, you grumpy old git. <laughs> so, yes, thanks for helping me kick things off with a little bit of energy there. Yeah, it was such a pleasure to play with you. It's been far too long since I've been able to play in a game with you and... Uh, you're always a scream and um that game yeah that was a particularly funny session i must say a good time was had by all i think there yeah uh, you got me you you got me on the actual plays um i've got to say i do tend to shy away from kind of long form actual plays i'm far more likely to tune into sort of one shots or things that might only be a few episodes. I have listened in on Wheel or Woe, and it is fantastic, but there's so much stuff there. It's like I have that same feeling whenever I look at a box set of a great TV show that I've never watched, and uh, you know, just knowing that there's like seven seasons or whatever of stuff that I've got to, I've got to watch if I get into it. It's no reflection on the quality of your actual plays at all. I love what you do, but I don't listen to actual plays very often. One of the main reasons that I listened in on Andy's was because, well, I knew all the players, you know, um, you, Jeff Collier, Liran, Jules from NZ, and TJ, man, what a lineup. And obviously, not forgetting Andy, I mean, he's a GM and a half, really. So the fact that I haven't listened to many episodes of Wheel or Woe has got nothing to do with the quality of what you do, man. It's just my listening habits that need attention. But I will make the effort to drop in again on you guys and uh, try and catch up with proceedings. That is a top quality actual play that you put out there. Oh, and I did want to say a little bit about the intros. I have had a a lot of fun playing little snippets of stuff at the beginning. I'm a little concerned about copyright infringement. Initially, I was using very small clips and that that has kind of grown a little. But I might rein in the intro snippets and go back to... Maybe doing something to make them a little less recognisable. Yeah, and obviously the big 100, I find it difficult to believe myself. And like I said, I kind of struggled to put this one together. I kept thinking to myself, I should do something special, but that was just holding me back. So thanks again for getting me fired up, man. Let's get on with it. Hi, Spencer. I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts about Death Robot Jungle. I wanted to clarify something about the saving throws. In my mind, I was talking about checks, not saving throws, i.e. it wasn't my intention to give you more chances to survive, quite the opposite. I was trying to introduce more gates, 
that you could potentially trip over and therefore um, suffer the consequences of. So quite the opposite of giving you more chances to survive. It was more a case of um, asking for checks in order to chip away. That's all I had to say today. See you, bye. <laughs> Thank you, Barney. Um, Barney from Loco Ludus there. I hope I didn't give the impression that you were somehow letting us off. And the the reason I used the term saves simply because that's how Chris McDowell presents them in Into the Odd and Electra Bastion Land. I'm pretty sure that everything is referred to as a saving throw. But I am eager to get back into that jungle and to see how we fare with these um, multiple encounters that proved so challenging to the other team. So, yes, very much look forward to that. Thank you, Barney. I just wanted to add a little additional context to what Barney was referring to there in his message. I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the previous episode, but Barney is running Death Robot Jungle with the Into the Odd and Electric Bastion Land rules. And he's running this same scenario for two completely different parties. I was a member of the first party and yeah, there was a sense that we maybe got off a little lightly, quite lucky in that we were able to get out with as much as we did. And the following session, having up the ante a little, was a total party kill. And I urge you to go and listen to the Loco Ludus episode, where Barney discusses that in a little more detail. Spencer, Steve Jeff. Hey, just listen to your latest podcast with all the business in it. Uh, thank you for the recommendation there of the anime, Alice in the Extraordinary World. That's one I hadn't heard of. If you're going to compare it to Studio Ghibli, then it's definitely got some traction in there that I definitely would love to see. So thank you for that. I'm going to hit that up as soon as I can. Also, the fact that you're just doing number 99 there. Excellent. And almost a full year podcasting. Cool. Yeah, I just actually restarted mine and it actually been a year once I had restarted it, my second season. I'm not nearly as loquacious as you apparently, so I might have to work ahead to keep up. Check you later. Thanks, Evil Jeff. Evil Jeff there from Minions and Musings. And um, I don't think many people have ever referred to me as loquacious before. <laughs> I'm usually a little backward in coming forward. But I seem to remember you were one of my first call-ins, Jeff. And um, it's great to hear you putting out episodes again. As for the anime, yeah, I really enjoyed that. April and the Extraordinary World. I, it's not quite up there with the best of the Ghibli stuff. But it's not far behind. And uh, yeah, I was really surprised myself having not heard of it before and just kind of stumbling across it some nice inventive stuff nice to be able to recommend something that uh, maybe people haven't heard of thanks for calling thanks for getting in touch man
Hey bud, it's Jules from Jules from NZ here. Um, just listen to the back catalogue as I've been doing to lots of people lately and came across the Raincast and I fully think that that might be my favourite episode I've ever listened to, ever. I just thought it was really clever and really funny and good on you for rolling with it and doing so well about it. Um, the questions and answer things had me cackling in my car, so good job. I just wanted to ring and say I enjoyed the crap out of that, and uh, yeah, that's it. Okay, bye. Jules from NZ there, and thank you very much, Jules. I'm glad you enjoyed that. I think it perplexed a few listeners, but um, I had so much fun responding to TJ's calls, and obviously hats off to TJ for uh, setting that all up. That was a magnificent series of calls. Yeah, when you've got someone like TJ to bounce off, well, you you know you're always going to have a fun time. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And if you're listening, TJ, when you get back to commuting, I'd certainly welcome another one of those. Hey, Spencer. Just got through your RPG a day from last August. And what can I say, man? You made me laugh. You made me cry. I uh, loved your ending with your daughter's rendition of uh, Moana. <laughs> and uh, oh, really loved that kind of history of basic that you went through. Wow, that was so much good stuff. I sometimes forget to make notes on this so I can call you about it later. Anyway, enjoying your podcast. Roy from Chaos's Limb there and... Uh... Yeah, thank you for that message, Roy. I was I was really quite touched by that. Um I hope that um you know, it wasn't it wasn't my uh, pain-inducing humor that brought tears to your eyes. And I'll have to go back and listen to that. <laughs> my daughter's singing Moana and um yeah, and that RPG a day. I was surprised that I made it through that, but I did. I stuck with it. I don't think I faltered. And I really think it helped me sharpen up the podcast. <laughs> Although I'll leave that up to you to decide. <laughs> and I do hope to get my daughter back on the podcast somewhere in the near future. She is very into her supers at the moment. The Incredibles, to be exact. It's not a genre I've personally played in. But I wonder if that's a way in for her. Hi Spencer, Golden Centurion here, just catching up on a bunch of old podcasts that I'm well behind on and uh, I have to say I'm definitely well behind on yours too but uh, I listened to the most recent one and uh, I thought it was interesting what you and J- I think Jason did with you, making you play yourself in an RPG. Um, it reminds me on G+, I, uh, it's lost in the mist of time, but I once wrote a trap which involved the idea that when you trigger the trap you you would be replaced by your character and then you had to role play how your character would role play you. <laughs> Does that make sense? So your character would be almost like sitting in the room and he would be role playing you real life you, but you had to basically role play your character role playing you. 
And the idea is it was all to do with puppets, and if you cut the strings, you would be the one who got trapped. Anyway, um, makes sense? Don't know. Cheers. Take care. Thank you, Goblin's Henchman. Um, yeah, that makes sense to me, and sounds like it might be quite fun. Uh, the whole breaking the fourth wall thing in a sort of a purple rose of Cairo kind of way. Yeah, the character steps in... Uh, what is it? The character steps out of the film into the real world and then takes someone from the real world back into the film world. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen that, so I've, I'll leave that there. But, um, yeah, fun meta thing to play around with there that could certainly lead to some interesting results. But, yeah, thanks for the call. Oh, and I must check out that um, new hex flower you've done. Was it Into the Deep Dark? Um, I'll have to look it up. But, uh, yeah, I'll be sure to take a look at that. So... What have we got next? I think we've got a few more messages from Jules regarding an episode I did a few weeks ago now where I was um, contemplating what role-playing actually means as a player and how that compared to acting. Take it away, Jules. Hey, it's Jules from Jules from NZ. As to acting in RPG... Um, so I play in a couple of different podcasts, um, well, a, a podcast that kind of has a few spin-offs. And for my podcast, obviously, I act because it's very much in the spirit of we're there being our characters, trying to be funny, trying to be entertaining. So we become our characters and get feisty and get argumentative and get happy and all of those things. And that's very much an in-character thing. Um then there's um, the Offshoot podcast, which actually has been a group of ours that's been around for like four years playing. Um, and some of those people, it was their first game of like any kind of RPG, um, let alone D&D. So uh, they've sort of been learning on how to do this, this RPG thing as we go. And they're very big on the procedure, the the numbers of it you know like when we're in the middle of a fight I'm busy kind of going I'm swinging the sword like a crazy person and I'm all over the place and rah, 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 and I'm not really getting specific about my numbers and stuff until the DM needs me to roll something I'm just having fun being in character they're very I use the sword which does uh, this and I've rolled a this and that's it and when he's like, yeah, cool, you kill it. How do you kill it? He's like, well, I used the sword. The sword did it. You know, like very dry. Um, and, and that's fine, actually. I don't have a problem with playing with people like that. I think I think each to their own. Um, but recently um, we had an episode where I was trying to sell some Arctic snake fur and ended up having this massive, like, argument, discussion, trying to trying to get a better price with the shopkeeper. Honestly, this whole conversation took like five or ten minutes while I was just like, 
you know, in character, like arguing with this amazing um, shopkeeper that my DM had thrown out this crazy, awesome NPC. And I was just having the time of my life. And they were supposed to be like having a conversation with like the big bad who we just realized was the big bad. We didn't even know he was the big bad. And it's like this big reveal and this big, crazy plot point. And instead of like enjoying what they were doing with that, they were like, can we go join in on the on the selling the fur conversation because like that looks like a lot of fun um which was a real turning point for us as a group because now they've decided that they want to get on in on this fun thing that you can have when you play in character and that's been really cool to see them grow like that so yeah i think it's necessary necessary is it necessary i didn't mean necessary i mean i think it's you know, I think it can be a really important element of the game. It's not everybody's thing, but I think it can really add value um, as they discovered when they realized how much fun it was to try it. And you should have seen their next attempt. It was great. It wasn't terribly um, earth shattering. They had a conversation with a wagon that was going in the opposite direction, but I just sat there with glee on my face. It was great. It was unnecessary conversation and fun, and I loved every second of it. So I think, you know, playing in that space teaches you a lot of things. And and yeah, I just wanted to also say that I think your podcast is amazing. Um, it's definitely now one of my top highlight, um, you know, ones to listen to. I, I don't know how I wasn't already listening. So so good i'm auto downloading it and auto adding it to my playlist there you go keep it up bye well thank you for that jules i'm really flattered that i've made it onto your auto download list and uh, yeah thank you very much for those kind words yeah i can i can totally get why you'd play up the acting for an actual play i mean yeah, you want to make something that's entertaining for people to listen to. And uh, I guess there's that kind of radio play aspect to it. Um, as far as getting into character, as opposed to just rolling dice and discussing what's rolled and saying, I hit this and do this much damage. I can't imagine getting much out of a game if that's all I was doing. And I think that, speaking from my own experience, I may have started out like that to an extent, and I think it just comes with confidence and throwing yourself into a game that you're much more willing to be a bit more um, descriptive with regards to uh, the action that's taking place. And the more you get into that, I feel the more you get out of the game, the much starker contrast between those two things than there is between third-person and first-person perspective. Also, that's a great observation there that um, the whole getting into character for a bit of frivolous conversation, yeah, it would really help to be in first person to get the most out of situations like that and uh, I think that's where its value lies and it does add a certain amount of richness to the game Hey Spencer Jason here so memory is a fickle thing so I can't 
I wouldn't attest in court to this, but you know, I, I'm sure I slipped in and out of first person, third person during my game with Andy, Andy Goodman of Expedition of the Grizzly Peaks. But my memory is when we started that game, Andy said that if we wanted to play in his game, we had to be in first person. And if we, we slipped out of it, then he would put us in the, the room. And and I didn't want to go to the room, so I tried to be good and stay in first person, but it was hard. And But, you know, you didn't want to go to the room because that's where the business happened. And, and we didn't want Andy to do the business to us, so we tried to stay out of the room. So we tried to be in first person the best we could. Anyhow, that's just what I remember. Jason there from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Joe, you're not the only guy who gets that right every time. Took me a little rehearsing before I initially got that, but it's now burned into the old noggin. <laughs> now, now I completely lost my train of thought. Uh, Jason, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it was that episode I was listening to. It was those uh, Cthulhu sessions and yeah i noticed you weren't the only person flitting from first to third person but andy does a very good job of encouraging that out of you and i'm sure as long as the game's flowing he's not going to take you to task for that he's certainly not going to be sending you to the room fortunately i think he gets all that kind of stuff out of his system during the actual session. But thanks very much for that. <laughs> Hi, Spencer. Been hearing a lot about paranoia in your back catalog. We didn't have as much player on player violence in the few sessions I ran. One of the most successful ones that I ran was based loosely on that Arnold Schwarzenegger film, Running Man. Have you seen that? Oh, that was great fun. Hey, thanks, Roy. Yeah, although I don't think I would ever go back to play Paranoia as is, I love the idea of introducing a bit of paranoia into a game and just that kind of uh, that threat of deceit within a party perhaps although not necessarily leading to you know player on player combat but um yeah the running man that, that is that is a good fun film and i could imagine yes paranoia would lend itself very well to that and there was a certain degree of that in the recent game I played of uh, Robot Death Jungle that Barney Dicker ran, but we were we were very much working as a team there. There's a few more messages from Roy as he makes his way through my back catalogue. Coming up to a few episodes I did regarding how how the podcast might sound to the uninitiated with all these messages being dropped in 
I was contemplating how the podcast might sound to anyone stumbling across it, not really knowing what Anchor is, hearing all these messages of whether I needed to add more context to those voices whenever I shared them. Hey, Spencer Roy here from Chaos Islam. Listening to your back catalog, I'm up to December of last year, so I am getting caught up slowly but surely. You're talking about levels of inception and whether it's easy to get lost in these anchorite conversations. And I'd say, yeah, it is. Um, I am one of those people accursed with wanting completeness. One of the reasons I have to go through the back catalogs just because I feel like I need to know all of the background before I comment on anything going on currently. And slowly going through the various anchorites, it's like you're weaving together this tapestry and synchronizing the conversations you hear happening earlier in other podcasts with this one. And I even find myself in the strange position of commenting on someone who is commenting on your back catalog. So you talk about levels of inception. Yeah, so it was, um, when I first started your podcast, I did find that I was often feeling disconnected from the conversation, and I don't know if it's so much because of the anchorite conversations that go on, but maybe more so because of the Discord conversations that seem to happen off-screen, and if you're not on Discord, then uh, some of those references may not uh, may not make sense, but... Uh, I would say I probably only experienced that very early in your podcast. Since then, I think uh, things are contextualized enough, or maybe I'm just more relaxed about the whole thing. Yeah, it's an interesting observation. Am I actually getting better at contextualizing things, or you've actually you know, fleshed out the background yourself having listened through my back catalogue? Uh, I am aware whenever I reference discussions on Discord, certainly more recently, I've made a point of putting that in context. I try not to just make comments to conversations that people haven't been privy to. I, You know, if, I, if I'm going to reference a conversation, I will, I will try to either flesh that out myself I'll use that as inspiration for picking a topic to discuss in the episode. And I hope that I'm able to achieve that and things like that don't seem disjointed. But um, yeah, it's difficult to tell from this end, I guess. It is something I'm wary of. I think I've got one more message from Roy. Finally, let me say that uh, for... Stone and Sorcery Games, you mentioned Paleolithic in your uh, December podcast. I ended up buying that. The description sounded so cool. And of course, my buddy Tim, as soon as I got that, he had to go out and get Worm, a different Stone Age game, just to uh, just to annoy me, I'm sure, <laughs> and tell me how much better his is than mine. <laughs> anyway, I'll have to do... 
some review of the two games on my own podcast someday, but not till I've had a chance to actually play them. Well, it's nice to know that you've gone out and bought a game on the strength of an overview that I've done. Yeah, it does look to be an interesting game. There's a group on Facebook that's been uh, created by the author, and it does seem to be generating a bit more interest. I'm not familiar with Worm. I'll have to look into that one, but it would be great to hear a review of Paleomythic and um, a comparison to Worm if you do that. I mean, I'm currently wrapped up in... uh, Electric Bastion Land at the moment. Going forward, it's going to be the game I try and get to the table first, I think. So it might might take a little time to get round to Paleomythic, but um, it does look nice, quite an elegant system. So I look forward to getting my teeth into that one. Thank you very much for listening through the back catalogue, Roy and Jules, and uh, I really appreciate all those great messages. Thank you. I just had another message from Roy appear at the zero hour. And, well, I say at the zero hour. This is probably still going to take me a couple of days to get the episode out. But um, I thought I would share this as I'd completely forgotten about the couple of episodes I did on the idea of using a fear mechanic. And I got lots of interesting responses to that and the whole idea of creating fear for characters i feel that I kind of flip-flopped back and forth around this issue I wasn't necessarily talking about scaring players I mean that's possible with you know if you want to actually make them physically jump or by creeping them out with disturbing descriptions of what's going on, you know, inducing repulsion. That's a little simpler. I guess I'm talking more about this, this fear of the unknown, making players fearful for their characters. Spencer, you talk about the possibility of a fear mechanism or whether it's even possible to experience player fear in a game. I have to say, the first time I was taken through Ravenloft, I had a experience very akin to fear. And I think there probably are ways to have the player feel fear. It seems the thing we fear the most is the unknown. I know sometimes just using an unknown monster that my players have no idea what can do, that... That's sometimes frightening. And I wonder if you brought in just setting elements, like that story, The Willow. This is something that I think Dave Aldridge addressed in Deeper Centaur quite early on. He spoke about how to uh, create terrifying opponents and essentially allowing creatures to somehow transgress the rules of the game. I'm not sure if I'm explaining that well enough, but I'd urge you to take a look back through the deeper centile 
back catalogue. It certainly ties in with the idea of creating this sense of the unknown. Yeah, I don't want to say too much about that because I don't really want to start that discussion off again. Although Jason Connolly was talking about it in a recent episode of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, toying with the idea of whether he needs a fear mechanic or not. And yeah, I felt I came up with something that I really quite liked around the false majeure idea by creating that uncertainty in robbing characters of a little bit of agency when panic sets in. And while I really like that, through my experience of play, I found that that's quite easily achieved by simply telling your players that what they're encountering is going to induce a certain kind of behaviour and then trusting the players to play that out through role play. And it's my experience that players are very willing to embrace that and put their characters in more compromising positions to make things more interesting for themselves. And if, yeah, if players are willing to do that, then I think a mechanic is surplus to requirements. So, going forward, um, my initial thoughts were about returning to loose ends, um, you know, those unfinished things that I'd suggested in previous episodes, the Southern Reach setting that I was working on. Also, the kind of post-human, post-apocalyptic idea I had with Instead of the fantasy races or ancestries, if you prefer, having different anthropomorphic creatures vying to take the place of the human race in their absence. There was the Into the Odd Solo as well that I never really <laughs> didn't get beyond leaving Bastion. Probably won't return to that because things have moved on. You know, I certainly haven't finished with Bastion. There was the randomly generated scenario that um, I was toying with to do with um, publishing propaganda, a media company where the printing presses were run by semi-intelligent monkeys as machine operators. I certainly think I'll do more with that. I think that could fit into Bastionland quite nicely. And... Not only things I haven't finished, but considering stuff I have actually done, like putting out Osseus, the uh, micro trifold rules light game, very bare bones thing. But I was quite pleased with how that came out. That's freely available on itch.io. Somebody recently paid me four bucks for it, which was uh, certainly appreciated. Yeah, so going forward, rather than revisiting those other things, there's an element of further distraction from the main issue. You know, I was toying with the idea of getting into Gygax 75, the great little booklet 
that Ray Otis has put together based on an article by Gary Gygax that's all about creating a campaign setting over a five-week period. Do I really need to be getting myself into that when there's the elephant in the room? The thing that's probably going to be most rewarding for me, the thing that's going to be the most informative and is also the most daunting thing on the to-do list, and that is actually getting round to running a game, and there are no prizes for guessing which system I'll be choosing for that. And I figured that made sense as a, a good point to start season three and have that be the focus. I mean, season one was all about me gathering up as much information as possible, learning as much as I could, and actually getting to play in games. Season two was very much about me figuring out what I really liked, you know, where my preferences lie, and also the experiences of playing. So it makes sense that season three should be about me focusing a little bit more, using the stuff that I have, not getting so easily distracted by the new stuff that's coming out and actually getting around to running my own game. So there you go. That's the pitch for season three. I hope you can join me. Well, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your calls. If you want to leave a message, please click the anchor link in the description. Or if you prefer to contact me by email, there's a link there to spencer.freethrall at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, MeWe, Instagram as Freethrall. There's a Keep Off The Borderlands Facebook page. Also in that episode description, you'll find a link to TJ Drennan's Patreon that provides all the wonderful music. Uh, it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.